Love Talk Radio. Sound of battle cry. <laughs> All right. What'd you say? <laughs> well, it's not the same on the guitar as it is on the piano. Jackson's messing with my guitar. I think he got the volume up a little high. Anyway, we'll be all right. <laughs> all right. Well, let's stand together and take us a songbook. And let's turn to 495. 495, brethren, we have met to worship. Let's 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 stand and sing tonight. She get well. Pray for Scott. Now you was telling, you were saying a few things there before we started. That he 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 got some things done on his back. Am I right? That's that's his back. And doctor, yeah. Right. They got that taken care of. They're getting it well. Amen. Remember to lift him up in prayer. Um, what else we got? Oh, help me. I know there's others. I know there's other needs. I know. Go ahead, prayer. Yeah. Absolutely. I pray your eyes get 
You. You. Pray you get feeling better and get your eye gets clear. Oh, I know it will. I know it will. Right. And I'm the nurse. Right. Remember, pray for Dan. Pray for Miss Anya. Um, pray for Bonnie and her shoulder. Pray for their family. Pray for Mike's family. Pray for Miss Nell, her foot. Um, is your back better? Is your back better? Okay. Well, I just knew it was bad the other day. I didn't know if it had gotten better. Okay. All right. Any unspoken tonight? All right. I know I got lots of it, too. Amen. God knows all about them, and we sure need to lift them up to him tonight. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know there are, there are plenty of things that we've missed, and we need to remember our missionaries and those we support and evangelism and everything else. And, and I got a box and uh, package up here. It was a bunch of uh, handouts from Leo Lytle and what they've been busy doing. And it's back there on the table. If you didn't get one earlier, be sure and grab you one on the way out. Got lots of pictures and stories and stuff of things. And uh, if you didn't hear me say before, he told me that they saw just just shy of 1,100 people come to Christ on the side of the road doing what they're doing this past year. I saw that. Okay. I can't, I mean, I, I don't know of a single missionary anywhere, Brother Byron, that had that kind of production for the Lord. It just goes, and, and they're not getting on a boat, getting on a plane. They ain't asking for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They just... All they want you prayers. They got there's a there's an independent Baptist church in Lufkin, Texas that is taking over that cross building ministry because Brother Vic Bass, who was a retired Southern Baptist preacher, who, who uh, somebody came to him with the thought of somebody ought to build some crosses and give them away, and he was trying. He had been praying, Lord, show me what I can do for you to get the gospel out. And when that person mentioned it to him, he latched onto that idea. Well, he's retired now, and they turned that ministry over to what they call ourselves the cross men, Trinity Baptist Church in Lufkin, Texas. So pray for that church and that ministry. It's mostly men and that are retired. And I want to say there's about 80 men there that are working diligently to build them crosses and, and ladies that volunteer from the church too. So be sure to pray for them. Uh, they're just doing tremendous work. I'm just so privileged and honored to have met him and yoked up with him because, you know, we, we're supporting them. And, uh, you know, we're putting Bibles in the hands of the people that are getting saved. And uh, that's valuable. And, uh, you, know, we, you know, we're not out there on the corners in the wind and the snow and the rain and the sleet and everything else like he's doing, but we, we get a little piece of that because we're supporting and helping that. And I thank God for that. Amen. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for uh, all the rest of the missionaries and all those we support. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Robert, lead us. Amen.
light in my soul, which long I had sought, since Jesus came into my heart. Thank you. 
27, nothing between my soul and the Savior. Somebody told him, said, the whole wide world's against you, D.L. Moody. 
He said, well, that's fine. I'm against the whole world then. Amen. You know, when you stand with God, you don't worry about who's against you because you got you got the one for you that, that, that all, that's all that matters. Amen. Is that God is for you because if God be for you, there you go. Amen. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Hallelujah. You, can, you know, it's like an old dead Methodist could shout over that, you know. Hallelujah. God bless the old dead Methodist tonight. Amen. There's one watching. God bless you, sir or ma'am. All right. Let's get into the Bible tonight. Amen. I wasn't trying to pick on you. I was just trying to point it out. Amen. A good old holy grunt every now and then ain't going to hurt nobody. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9 through 15 tonight. Proverbs 22, verses 9 through 15. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord, and let's take it to him in prayer and ask him to meet with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Lord, the best that I know how, I come and I bring myself to you, and I lay you out on your, I lay myself out on your altar, and I pray, Lord, for power. Lord, for your breath, your touch. Lord, use me tonight. I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm just, I'm just here. I just need you. I can't do it without you. I'm your vessel. I'm your instrument, and I need you. Breathe on me, Holy Ghost. Speak through me tonight. Use me for your glory. Now may I magnify Jesus tonight. May I lift up the truth tonight and speak nothing but the truth, and, and in doing so, point to Jesus and point to what's right and point to the truth. And, Lord, I pray for somebody listening to me tonight, Lord, who's gone astray. Father, there may be somebody listening in tonight from somewhere far away from us, geographically, Lord, but their heart needs this tonight. They may hear this message, and, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would, would pin them down tonight and show them that their way is wrong and that God's way is the only right way. Lord, I pray tonight somebody would come to Christ as a result of something that's said. Father, I pray, Lord, folks in here would get help. And Father, I pray, Lord, maybe maybe some of us have some people in our life that need this desperately. Lord, maybe we can use it ourselves. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight, Lord, as only you can, and we'll give you glory and praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You remember I said last week, this is not written to to older folks. This is all written to young people. The whole book of Proverbs is to young people. It's to a young man from his daddy to tell him how not to make all these mistakes in life. But isn't it funny that even even though we're on up in years, we still can benefit from this stuff, amen? You know, life doesn't stop when you get older, amen? The same old problems hang around. And so there's people listening into this, this program tonight, listening to this service, who are at all different points in their life as well, and, and they need this as well. So let's look at beginning in verse 9, Proverbs 22, amen? And if you hadn't been watching us, you can go back and watch because we've gone through the entire book of Proverbs. I think we've, we've almost hit every single verse uh, uh, online, I don't know that we have, but we've tried to. But there's so much, so much of a rich uh, treasure chest of truth here. Proverbs 22 and verse 9. It says, "He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread." So this is talk. This is a verse, a proverb specifically talking about the generous man, the generous person, generous woman. But it's, it's pointing out he, speaking to a men, a men, but it doesn't matter. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. So according to this principle, God's going to bless the one who's generous to others. I think that's pretty obvious. I think we know that. But this verse simply reinforces that. When people, you know, if you decide, if God touches your heart and you say, you know what, I've got to start giving to the work of the Lord. And you start pouring out of your of, of your living to support people getting saved, to support the work of God somewhere. God's going to notice that. God notices everything. Nothing escapes God. Of course, He knows everything. But that's going that is going to perk up God's attention in what you're doing, because you all of a sudden will be acting with the same nature as Him. You know, when a parent sees a child replicating their own good behavior, it does your heart good, does it not? And, you know, we're made in the image of God. I think it God blesses God's heart when he sees us being generous like he is. That's why he tells us to over and over and over. And it says that, that if you have that bountiful eye, the, 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 the desire in you to help somebody else, God says he'll bless you. What will happen is that when you begin to, 
to, to be generous, God's not going to allow you to be more generous than he is. God is, God is not going to let you outgive him. You set out to be a giver for God. I mean, be a giver for God. Say, I'm going to bless somebody. And at that point, you're not worried about, you're not worried about, well, am I going to have enough money for all the things that, that I, I, all the pleasures in my life? At that point, you find your pleasure in doing something for others. Now, I know there's all different kinds of people in this world, and there's people who they want to keep everything for themselves and enjoy every little bit of everything for themselves. And, and those kind of people, they, listen, more power to you, but there's not a lot of blessing in that. Not a lot of blessing in that. Um, but, God, again, you, you, you start off giving. I've always used this terminology, but you start off giving with a teaspoon, and God will give with a tablespoon. You pick up a pea scoop and give with a pea scoop, and God will give with a corn scoop. You know, you give with a shovel, and God will give with a front end loader. And God will continue to outgive you. And God, he said, why would he do that? Because he wants you to keep giving bigger and bigger and bigger because God's got lots of needs here, there, and yonder that people need to get filled, and he's looking for vessels to use to fill those needs with. And God will God will use somebody if they will present themselves to God with an honest, pure heart of wanting to be a, a blessing to somebody else. It's kind of a – it's well, y'all heard the word paradox, and that's something that shouldn't make sense, but it does. You know, I, I promise you this. If you go to work somewhere, and I know if you've worked anywhere for any length of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to work somewhere, and – and stand up all day, and 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 boy, you be you'll be give some out. You stand you're standing up all day, uh, you know, and, and or you can work sitting down all day. I, I I can't remember which one make you tired more, but one of them will make you tired more than the other. But but I, I don't know why I brought that up. That didn't make no sense. Forget I said that. Scratch that whole idea. But the point of it is something that shouldn't make sense, but it doesn't. Okay. But person that's greedy. The person that's greedy, who's trying to hang on to everything that they can for themselves, would you think, well, if I got everything, then I'm happy. But that person's miserable. They're trying to hang on to everything they got and not let anybody take any, get any of it, and it makes them miserable inside trying to hang on to their property and to their power. But on the other hand, the generous person, they're participating in a cycle of endless blessing because they can't out give God. Because, again, they give to God's work, and it gives them joy. That's one thing. You know, if I stop at the convenience store, and I buy me $100 worth of quarters, and I sit there and drop that quarter in that thing, and it pushes off two or three off the ledge. Y'all seen the machines in there? They used to have more at the default store. I never did do it because it's a rip-off, and it's gambling. I don't want a part of the deal with it. You feed the quarters in there, and they fall off the ledge. You stand and waste $100 right there. You, you say, well, you'll win some. You will, but you, you know, lose what you got. It's rigged that way. And, again, that person, that person he, he's trying to, trying, to, uh, trying to generate something the wrong way. They're going to lose anything they got. But the person who's trying to, to – says, you know what? I'm going to invest it because I love God. I want to, I, I want to, I want to, I want to put something in that's going to give me some return. I know it will give me a return. So if I give to the Lord's work, I know I'm going to get a return. So how do you know you're going to get a return? Because everything that I'm giving, everything that I'm doing, I, I'm doing it with a with a desire in me. I'm doing it with a purpose and a desire. What is the purpose of desire? The purpose is to see somebody come to Christ. The desire is that somebody's in heaven instead of hell. That's the desire. So I have expectation. It gives me a reason to pray because I've given to this person who's worked, doing the work of God somewhere and I pray for them, it's me helping them and them helping me by growing my prayer life. And when I hear the report of where my money went and they're doing something for God, it's just like telling you what I'm hearing from Leo. That brings me so much joy. And that brother calls me up and he encourages me and the Lord talking about what God's doing. Okay? So now you know what that makes me want to do? That makes me want to give more Bibles. That makes me want to send more Bibles to him. So he don't run out somewhere along the road and have to pick up something from somebody else that I only know it's the real word of God and give to somebody. I don't want him having to scramble to find Bibles and, or New Testaments. I, I want him to have all he needs. And you know what? And, and God wants that. So God uses people. The Bible says, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. That's talking about the person. Talking about the generous man. 
And one important way to express our generosity is to give to the poor and needy. Not the poor and drunk or the poor with a drug habit who's sitting on the corner waiting for you to give them $20 so they can run over to the store and grab a 12-pack of beer and get in their car and drive off. That ain't the kind of people we're talking about. I'm talking about those who never need, not panhandlers who are trying, who are trying to get by a little to nothing. Uh, listen, the Bible says he giveth his bread to the poor. That's somebody who's starving and needs something to eat. So, again, <clears throat> generosity is simply sharing. It's giving of what you got. And I want you to notice there that phrase, he giveth of his bread. Okay? This isn't, this isn't, sure, we got plenty set down. This is, I only have this sandwich, but you can have it. I'm not going to eat lunch today. Here, you take my sandwich. I'll be fine. Don't worry about that. You get your belly full. That, that, that's what this is referring to. That's, you know, if, if we got a spare $5 in our pocket and we can get somebody to get something to eat, that ain't no big deal. Ain't no skin off our nose. But if you got to go without eating lunch all day long so somebody else can have something, that's a little different. And, again, he spares it out of his own belly to give to the hungry. And then we get that from the words, his bread. That It was appointed for his own eating. He, he voluntarily fasted from a meal uh, at, at, that he could. You know, so he could give it to the needy, and and and, and because of that, he's not going to lose his reward. He he actually sacrificed something to give. The question I'd like to ask you tonight is: Have you ever gone without so that somebody else could eat? Can you think back to a time when you went without a meal so somebody? I'm not asking you to raise your hand and testify. I'm just wondering. I just want you to think about it in your mind, because I, you know, again, I, I took her racking my brain this afternoon. If I did it, it was so long ago, I can't put my finger on it, which convicted me, okay? It's pretty convicting because I think to myself, you know, I mean, it ain't that I hadn't helped people. Of course, I've helped people along the way. But have I have I gone without a meal so somebody else could eat? I don't know. I don't know. But, it, again, it's very convicting. The person described here has a loving, giving disposition to, to, to be willing to give of their own meal. Uh, they they got a sensitive social conscience. They, they're not just – got blinders on going through the world. They're looking around and noticing other people and their plight and, and, and their needs. So, you know, and a lot of people don't do that. They just, again, they just focus on themselves. And, and, and they have a concern for those who are less fortunate than themselves, those that are poor. And, and, and the funny thing is, now because that person is different because, again, they walk with God and they're not a prisoner of their own selfish desire and their own selfish appetite, then this person now can fulfill the second greatest commandment. You remember the first one is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the second one? Like unto the first, love thy neighbor as thyself. That's that's who is my neighbor? Well, hey, what did he tell him? It was the 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 man that fell among thieves, wasn't it? Right? It was somebody who couldn't do nothing for themselves. And somebody starving, they ain't can't do a thing for themselves. And so if we're generous, we'll we'll look on that person and help them. All right, verse ten. Verse ten. I went a long way with that one. But anyway, verse ten. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. <clears throat> Cast out the scorner, tension shall go out. Well, scorner, what again? That's the, the and that's the scoffer. That's that's the person who spreads cynical discord and causes contention. Uh, that that one employee on the job that runs her mouth about the boss constantly and tries to get you to talk bad about the boss with them all the time. Anytime the boss ain't there, they just gonna run their head about it. Okay, when you you finally get that joker out of there, it'll be a whole lot better workplace. That again, that's that's what that's basically. It. And you can put that in any situation. You can put that, you know, if you got if you got a, a rebellious teenager in your home who's causing trouble between mom and dad, when that joker moves out, everything will settle down in the house. I mean, anybody going to do it? Whether it's a wild teenage girl, a wild teenage boy, whether, whether again, somebody you work with, wherever it is, you get, you may have somebody come into church that, that, that just absolutely is a, is a burr under everybody's saddle and, Hopefully one day they find another home where they don't cause a whole problem for everybody. But we ain't got that here, thank God. But I'm just saying, some churches where they, you know, a preacher just, they see somebody coming in the back door, they're ready to run out the back. So they'll eat you know. I mean, I thank God I ain't got them kind of problems. But there's people people who do. And I feel bad for them. 
But when you cast out the – and, again, it ain't somebody sincere we're talking about. This is somebody who likes to cause problems. This is somebody who lives to cause problems. This is not poor old so-and-so. This is – if I can get you, I'm going to – that's how, that's who we're talking about. It. Boy, if I can find a way to get to you, I'm going to get to you because I like it, and I like causing trouble. That's the scorn. And he said, when you get rid of them, strife and reproach shall cease. So, again, no matter no matter no difference the location – the atmosphere of, of strife and shameful insult stops when the divisive scorner or scoffer is gone. And this reminds us that an atmosphere of contention, strife, and reproach is caused by people. It's caused by sin. Amen. You can't blame it on anything else but people. Because when that people's gone, when that person's gone, everything settles down. All right, verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips. What are we talking about? We're talking about pureness of heart, inner purity. How do you know somebody, how can you tell if somebody is close to God on the inside? You listen to them. What's in a person's heart, what's going to come out of their mouth. You know, I heard a preacher say years ago, I've said this in here too. So, you know, you go eat Mexican food for lunch and then have an interview with somebody, you don't have to tell them where you ate lunch. That's smelling on your breath. You had Italian? You ain't got to tell nobody you had Italian. They'll smell Italian coming out of your pores. It's going to be on your breath. Amen. And whatever's down in you is going to come out. Amen? And if, and if what's down in you is, is a, a close personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what you're going to talk about? You're going to talk about the joy of the Lord. You're going to talk about how good God is. You're going to talk about the blessings God has brought into your life. You're going to have good things on your lips versus negativity and, and, and condescension and, 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 and all the things the scoffer was talking about. That's the opposite of, of all that. And again, it shows with what we're we talking about, grace-filled words, words that are gracious, words that are helpful, words that are kind, okay? And, 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 and these things, these, these are marks of a, of a godly, wise man or a wise woman to, to, have, to have pureness of heart and to have grace on their lips. Uh, and the Bible says, the second half of that verse, the king shall be his friend. You know, to have to have this true godliness and to have true wisdom both on the inside and coming out in your spoken words, that'll make you friends in high places. You know, people want to be around somebody who, who is an encouragement. Um, that's why motivational speakers usually have a bigger platform than non-motivational speakers. <laughs> Nobody will come here somebody just tear them down the whole time and, 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 and discourage them from doing anything. No, but the person who encourages, that person will have an audience. And the Bible says here that the king will be his friend. Because, uh, again, this person is walking in the light of God, and because of that, there are going to be other people who want to be around him. Again, I want to be around. I, I have a, I have a desire to spend time with people who encourage me in the Lord. I like that. I enjoy. There are certain there are certain brethren that I that I've met over the years, and boy, every time I get around them, I get excited about serving Jesus all over again. Just their personality, just the Lord in their life encourages me to 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 get busier for God than I have before. And uh, you know, First John one six and seven. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And there's a lot of people in those shoes who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I, I love the Lord and all this, but their life has no light in it. They're, they, they're just, just like you can't tell the difference between them and the rest of the world. There's no difference. They go the same places the world goes. They do the same things the world goes. Uh, does they watch the same things the world watches? They listen to the same things the world listens to. They follow all the same things the world follows. 
They believe all the things that the world tells them. Tell me how that's different from anybody else. But the Bible says if we walk in, in the light, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. What is that saying to us? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, that means we're walking in a in a in a fairly constant I know I know as a believer you're gonna have days where you fall down and you're gonna have to seek God and repentance and get get things back right and get back up and keep walking. But as a steady walk with God We're talking about a person who has a steady walk with God, one who's reading their Bible, who's spending time with him every day, got a good prayer life. When they sin, they they ask for forgiveness and they keep going. We're talking about not perfect, but somebody who's walking upright before God. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We get around other Christians. we got something to talk about. We enjoy being around one another. Why? Because we have the joy of the Lord. We can talk about how good God is and, and nobody thinks that's weird. Amen? We can rejoice over how good God is. Whenever, whenever God does something good and answers a prayer that we as a church have been praying, everybody in this church rejoices. Why is that? Because we all love the same Lord. Am I right? Okay. And we have fellowship one with another. Why? Because we're going to the same God in prayer, asking him for the same request, and he answers us. Here's our prayer, and we rejoice together. The Bible says that but if we say we have fellowship with him, and we and, and we and we walk in darkness, we're just kind of acting like we're in that same fellowship. And I know there's people that do that. I, I know that every church there are people who they, they they want to be a part of that rejoicing. They want to be a part of that fellowship. They want to be a part of all that, but they just don't feel a part of it. And why is that? Well, it's because there's not that closeness that they claim to have, and they need to get near God and get that closeness and get the world out of them, because the world is what prevents us. You know, yeah, and I, I'm going to use this example, because, you know, I used to grow tomatoes all the time, and and, every, and every, you'll have a tomato plant have a bunch of vi- a bunch of vines coming off of it, and one of them vines all of a sudden is trip. Now, why will that vine die off and trip? Because something has blocked where the sap comes from the vine, uh, from the vine to the branch. And there's something there in that connection that blocks the flow of the sap. And so with deprived of the sap, that branch has no choice but to die. And a believer, we're in Christ, but if there's sin preventing us from receiving the fellowship of the Lord, what's going to begin to happen in our life? We're going to begin to feel like we're dying spiritually. Now, are we dying spiritually? Are we going to die and go to hell? No. But you know what? We're going to feel so miserable and dried up inside until we get right with God and let the flow of God's love back into our life. And I know I kind of went off course a little bit, but it's necessary that we hear that. He that loveth pureness of heart. That's what we're talking about. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge. God, God sees, God takes note of, and God guards those with wisdom and knowledge. God knows right where we're at. God knows right what we're doing. God sees everything about us. God's got us under his eye, and he's taking care of us. Amen? And, again, in that sense, it can be said that his eyes preserve knowledge. Again, I, I don't I don't go to bed at night, and I'm scared to death something bad is going to happen to me. I go to bed at night and sleep good. Why? Because I know God's looking out for me. And, and, and like my friend Mike Edwards said, if God wants me dead, where am I going to go? I can't outrun him, so I might as well go to bed, go sleep, amen, and rest in him. And that's what I do every night when I lay my head on the pillow. I sleep good because I know he's in control. And the Bible said he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. I'm not going to belabor this verse here, but, I, again, I just want to touch on it. But he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. The transgressor, this is the person who's basically left whatever faith they had. They, they, they went back. To transgress means I... Uh, God, God left, delivered me from something, and I turned around and went right back to it. Right back into sin where I knew I wouldn't belong. The Bible said he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. Again, they ought to expect that God's going to expose their words. 
He's not going to stand with and he's not going to support their faithless words of, of somebody who does things their own way. So I know what the Bible says, but I just do it this way. I, I know what the Bible says, but I don't care. I, I believe this way. I know some people like that. Scares me to death for them. Scares me to death for them. Because there's only, there ain't two ways. There's God's way and there's the wrong way. There ain't but one way of salvation. That's the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. I've had I've had people say, I've had people say more more than one people say to me this, and I want you to hear what I'm going to say. People who have people who used to sit under me years ago, who have since the world has come into their life, and they are now living without. Like it's like God never even existed in their life, and I look at that and it blows my mind because they were serving God, and I have heard those people say, "Well, you preached once saved, always saved, so I guess you know I'm covered." It don't work like that. I don't believe. Amen. If you if you're saved, look here. If you've been born again, you're not like, "Well, that's a clause." You know, I mean, look here. I mean, don't mistake what I'm saying. If you're saved, you're saved. But what I'm trying to say is if you are born again saved, you know you are. You may be backslid at the devil, miserably, horribly, wretchedly off into some kind of sin, but you know that you are a believer who is wretchedly, horribly off into sin. You don't think, well, maybe I lost my salvation. I don't think I'm saved anymore. You know good and well if Christ came in. You know good and well if you're redeemed. And I don't. I just don't. I just question in my heart how anybody can look back on having walked with God, served God, lived for God, and say, "Oh well, if it was real, hey, I did it back then, so I guess I can't, it counts for me," even though I don't believe it. That, that just don't work that way. Amen. Uh, I don't think a person ever got it. Verse thirteen. The slothful man saith. There is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. That's a funny verse. <laughs> There's a lion outside. That's what the slothful man says. There's a lion outside, y'all. Hey, somebody, you know what somebody just said to him right before that? Once you get up and go work. <laughs> okay, there's a lion outside. In this guy's imagination, the outside world and the work required to function in it are so scary to him, he just doesn't stay in bed. And his excuse is crazy and insane, but that's the refuge of the lazy man, a crazy, ignorant excuse. And that's fine. I've, 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 somebody said this to me since I've been here, talking about somebody saying this excuse, but I heard years ago somebody say was. Somebody asked them, how come they don't come to church? And they said, well, I got a quart of milk in the refrigerator. What's that got to do with anything? They said, well, one excuse is good as another, I reckon. Quart of milk, that'd keep you home from church, you know. <laughs> so, again, lying in the street, quart of milk in the refrigerator, what difference does it make? If, you don't want, if you're not going to get up and do nothing, what difference does it make what you say? And that's the point of this. And, and the slothful man, Spurgeon talks about this. He talks about this verse, and he, and he talks about chapter 26, verse 13, which is basically the same verse. They're almost identical. <laughs> and in both of these verses, the slothful man is he, he, he's said to have something to say, and, and, and I say, and, and they probably ain't, nobody had so much to say as somebody who's got very little to do. Because somebody ain't got nothing to do, they'll sit and talk all day about nothing. And uh, where nothing is done, much is talked about. And I, I know that's true. I've been on a lot of construction sites and the boss leaves. Everybody's got lots to talk about while the boss is gone. And then they say the truck coming and everybody grabs the implement and goes to get to work. That's the way it goes, isn't it, brother? I know. I've been there. And uh, But, again, the slothful man, um, he, he's represented as, as, as finding far-out ridiculous excuses to show that no idea is too wild or too crazy to keep him out of work. And his life and those around him are not in danger from any make-believe lions, but but probably from his lazy lifestyle. That's what they're more in danger of, is him never doing anything to help them in their life. Spurgeon said, laziness is a great lion maker. He who does little dreams much. 
He who does little dreams much. His imagination could create not only a lion, but a whole menagerie of wild beasts. And if some mighty hunter could hunt down all the lions that his imagination is let loose, he would soon distribute herds of more of the terrible animals with wolves and bears and tigers to match. What Spurgeon said. You ain't ever going to shut him down. He'd come up with something. He'd come up with a better reason than you got, in other words. He said, I shall be slain in the streets. He's exaggerating the danger and the troubles outside his door. Anything that had to do with him getting up and going to work. He said, it's in the streets, y'all. There's a lion in the streets. This makes it even more ridiculous. Where do lions live? They live in the streets that they are. No, they live out in the country. They live out on the Sahara, the, the, the Serengeti, out in the out in the middle of the field somewhere. They don't live up on the city streets. They ain't lions resting on doorsteps and things. So why does he say this stupid stuff? Because he's lazy. He, he'd rather come up with something crazy than, than get up and do anything. But if you could somehow extract his laziness from him, all these imaginary troubles and dangers would just disappear in a puff of smoke. And the lazy person who don't want to do anything ought to turn to the Lord for victory over their sin. All right, verse 14. The mouth of a strange woman is a deep pit. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. What's a good verse? The mouth of strange women is a deep pit. We're talking about an immoral woman. And I told you before, a strange woman is anybody that's not your wife. So you could call anybody. And again, that don't mean, that don't mean I mean, Joanne ain't my wife. That don't mean I think you're a strange woman. That don't mean I think you're an immoral woman or anything like that. But it just simply means if she's not your wife, don't touch her. Get away from her. Don't get involved. It's not for you to get involved with. She's strange to you. So we're talking about a woman who is approaching a man coming on to him. She's immoral. She's not She's not looking for somebody to court her and, and, and later on marry her. She's looking for somebody who will who, who, go off and have an illicit affair with her. So, again, this woman, is she's setting a seductive trap by her words and how she's Tickling his ear. Oh, you're so cute. You're so sweet. Look at you. Oh, you're so muscle. Let me feel your muscle. You know, again, she's building him up and making him think he's the best thing in the world. And let me say this. I, I, I may not be saying this to anybody here needs to hear it, but there may be somebody out there needs to hear it. <laughs> Ladies, if you've got a husband, you better tell him he, You better tell him he's all them things that you used to tell him because if you don't, somebody will. You never quit loving the person you're with. You never quit admiring the person you're with. You never quit loving on them with your words. Because, again, there's always somebody out there who will take that place away from you if you stop loving your spouse. And, and again, the devil will put somebody there if you're not careful. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you know, Solomon Solomon knew something about this danger. I mean, he saw he saw his father David fall into the deep pit of immorality. He he knew about that. He saw what happened with 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 uh, or he didn't see it I guess, but he knew it happened. He knew what happened with his mother. And uh he knew about all the, the troubles that David had because of it. And again, Bathsheba was a strange woman to David. Now he didn't marry her but he had and he did right by doing that because again he got her pregnant but but again it was the killing of her husband in order to have all that done. So uh, again, and, and it wasn't anything that she did. It was him. He was the guilty party. But again, she she didn't throw up no, oh, no, no way. Let go of me. Unhand me, king. I mean, no, it wasn't none of that. It take two to tango. So she went along with things. And, uh, and the Bible says that deep pit, a deep pit, easy to fall in but hard, if not impossible, to get out of once you fall into it. You take somebody who fuses against God's way of doing things. You take somebody who, who, who rather than seeking a mate and, and building a life together and having a marriage, you take, you take a man who, who simply goes to prostitutes 
he finds that his way of of, of getting receiving love and well, he coming back from that person whose mind is at that point that person ain't coming back more than likely it would take an absolute miracle to pull that person out of I'm not saying it's impossible. They've been prostitutes who've gotten saved and plenty of people uh, who've come out of that life, but it's, it's rare. What I'm trying to say is God calls it a deep pit. That means it's a dangerous place to wind up in. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> everything that goes along with that kind of lifestyle is bad. Everything that goes along with that kind of lifestyle. That's, that's, that's the streets. That, that's that's life on the streets. Uh, drug addiction, alcoholism, and every perversion in the world goes along with that lifestyle. And again, uh, unlike the, the lazy man's fantasy of a man-eating lion roaring the street, roaming in the streets, these women are real. And, and you know what? And they're very deadly too. They they like predators out there roaming. And uh, anyway, and the Bible said. That the he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Uh, that word abhorred that means means God God hates you. Amen. That's what it means. And somebody say, how could God hate somebody? Well, they reject Him. They reject Him, and they reject His Son. They reject the sacrifice. They reject everything He's ever tried to give them. And God, at some point, says, "Well, that's it. I'm done." And God's gracious and merciful, long-suffering to us, uh, to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But God has a point where that's enough. And, uh, you know, the fool, the fool is the one that is a part of God. The fool is the one who's rejected God's wisdom. And that's the one we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody who has chosen, who has chosen foolishness above the wisdom of God. And that's the person that's likely to fall in there because anybody that's got any wisdom or any smarts about them at all says, uh-uh, that's a horrible life. I don't want to go down that road. But yet the one who's on it can't see how bad it is because they're blinded by it all. All right, one more verse and we're done. Ain't got a kid in here tonight, but anyway, hey, listen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Somebody's got kids listening to this. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. This is one of all, all children's favorite verses when it comes to uh, rods of correction. But uh, <laughs> uh, praise God, I'm, I'm the daddy of a, of a three-year-old little girl. I ain't got no rod at home. I don't have to have a rod yet. I got this hand right here on that leg, and that, that's all I need to do to get that attention. But, but the Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You know, we we look at babies when they're born. Oh, they're so sweet. Oh, they're so cute. Oh, they're so precious. And they are, but they are not morally neutral beings. They're not. As soon as the child is able, they say, no! You don't believe me? Listen to mine for a little bit. She is She has mastered that two-letter word. And I have had to tell her, it is so ugly for you to, to yell no in mommy and daddy's face. You have... You're going to have to quit that. I mean, you fix it, you fix it and start getting popped every time you do that. you got to stop. You know, okay. Until next time. But bless her heart, she's little and she's going to learn. She's going to learn. But, you know, again, they're not morally neutral, though. There's a moral problem, and it's bound up in their heart. And it's evidenced by the fact that our children will naturally sin without anybody teaching them how. They're going to do it. You ain't, you ain't got to teach them. They'll find a way to do it. And they inherited that from Adam and Eve down through history, down through the, or not through history, through our ancestors, passed down through the line through our ancient ancestors. <coughs> and the father in this case, daddy, has got to understand he's got a difficult task ahead of him because the daddy is battling against an inherited, uncooperative attitude and willfulness. And I mean, I'm, I know it. I'm up against a stubborn mule of a child because when they, when she don't want to do something, her whole world comes to a halt, and it's just like, Wah! 
I got to reel her back in from all this. It's, it's a gift. Until a child gets a grip on those things, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. And I'm really, I'm right in the middle of it right now. But because here's the thing. You've got to tear down and build up at the same time. You've got to tear down that willfulness, and you've got to build up obedience at the same time. So that's a hard task to do. And, you know, it's important to notice that, that what's being talked about here is foolishness, not childishness. Ch- children are going to be childish because they're children. Dogs bark because they're dogs. And, and little kids are going to act like little kids. And a child, and I, I'm a firm believer in this, a child shouldn't be punished for just being a child, for just acting like a child, doing silly things and being silly. A child, they're going to be full of silliness. But wickedness is a whole different matter. A child exhibits wicked behavior. It's time to, to put a stop to it. And the Bible tells us very plainly, and we're almost done, the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, regardless if it's still socially acceptable or socially approved, God says that physical, corporal punishment is one important way that a child can be morally trained. He talks about the blueness of a wound. He talks about uh, he that he hateth his son, spareth his rod. All that, all that talking about physical discipline. Okay, and. When it's wisely and properly applied, and that's key, it has to be wisely and properly applied, physical correction can drive away a child's natural foolishness. If it's done right, it's done appropriate measure, and it's done with love along the way. One writer, he described this verse as a verse about knocking the nonsense out of somebody. And maybe that's the case. To a little boy, I'd say that's probably right. You got to knock the nonsense out of them little boys. But little girls are a little different. I'm learning, but but I'm gonna say this, and I want every mom and dad to listen to me out there to hear this. Parents have got to be careful, to be careful, to fill their child's life with so much love, and flood that child's life with love, because you're gonna have to discipline. And I and and when you when you do discipline them. And you have to be rough and gruff and get their attention or whatever you have to do and be stern and, and hard. You, you've you loved them and poured so much love into their life that when you in that moment, you're not taking away more than you put in. What do you mean by what I mean by that is you don't want you don't want to leave that, that account that you feel with love overdrawn when you're done this from the child. You don't want that child to come away from that fearing you with a terror or resenting you with a bitter hatred. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That's what God's talking about. But bring them up in the nurture, that's the instruction, and admonition, that's correction of the Lord. Again, we're building down and tearing up. I mean, building down tearing up. Building, tearing down and building up at, at the same time. And I'm going to finish with thought, and we're done. Uh, the Bible gives some examples of some men who didn't do this right. Uh, y'all remember Eli? He had two sons, Hophni and Phineas, and they were uh, stealing the best cuts of meat in the, in the temple, and uh, and 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 they were sleeping with the women who helped there in the in the temple, and. Uh, you know, it was they brought they brought down his house with greed and whoredoms, and then you had David, good a man as David was, he was a soft daddy. He wasn't stern with his son. And what did it lead to? Well, it led to Amnon raping his sister. It led to Absalom rebelling against his daddy's kingdom. Ended up ended up riding that donkey underneath that oak tree and hung his long. His long hippie hair up in the in the tree and hanging between heaven and earth, and Joab stabbed him in the heart. I mean, and, and that ain't all. And there was Adonijah, and he rebelled and tried to take the, the the throne away from Solomon, and Solomon had him executed. The baby he committed adultery with Bathsheba, you know, that baby died. He he ended up 
he ended up, because of his sin, he, his children suffered. And, uh, again, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't all their fault. It was partly their fault, but a lot of it was due to David's raising them and the way he was. So there's a saying, and I didn't know it until I read it, but it said a fair hand, fair hand makes a foul wound. In other words, if you're easy on your children, it's going to end up costing them in the long run. Amen. We've got to raise them up in the, in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. Let's stand together. Amen. Been good to be with you tonight. I hope the Lord gave you something tonight. I hope he blessed you and I hope he helped you. And I hope that you'll take what you've learned tonight. And if somebody is in your in your life that, that needs some wisdom, I hope you'll remember these things. The Holy Spirit will remind you and you'll bring these things out and give it to them where they can be helped. Because we're not getting all these things just to stuff away and in a, in a file somewhere, we're hanging on to them because you know. Again, it's just like it's just like a toolbox. A man's got a big toolbox and he collects tools. You know what? There may be a tool in there he's never ever used before, but there'll be a day somebody said, "Boy, I wish we had one of them." He said, "Hey, I got one in my toolbox. Let me run and get it." You ever been there, rubber? Yeah. Well, that's the way it is with a believer in a Bible verse. I said, "Man, I don't know what to do about this." You said. I got something in my toolbox. Let me go get it. And you bring that verse back, amen, and help them. And you fix that problem in their life. Why well, you don't do it, but you give them the tool to fix it with. Amen. That's what God wants us to do with what we're getting from this. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's be dismissed. And uh, y'all have a great rest of the week. Brother Byron, dismiss us. Thank you. 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 Thank you.